This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Good morning, everyone. Well, it's wonderful to see all your faces this morning. I hope this lesson comes as a benefit to y'all, as edifying. Uh, there is coming a day where we all shall rise. Jesus said in John 5, 28, 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which that all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, and they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You see, the resurrection is the foundation of our Christian faith. Without it, we have no hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ be risen, then is our preaching vain, and, and your faith is also vain. You see, Paul stresses the importance of the resurrection and assures us that it did occur and that we will one day be resurrected as well. But it's our choice to choose what side we will be on that resurrection morning. And I hope this lesson will help you make that right choice. Today I'll discuss what it will be like on that great day to be on the righteous side and to be on the sinful and lost side. For you see, that day will be joyous for some, but for others, it will be a day of, it will be a grievous day, as we just read in John 5. So why will that day be joyous? For some, it will be happy. It will be joyous, it will be, it will be a joyous day because our bodies will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 to 44, the Bible says, So also is the resurrection of dead. It is sown in incorruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. You see, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. In verse 52, it also says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Paul makes the analogy of a, of a grain being sown and a plant sprouting, as we shall as well. You see, this vile, corrupt body, this body that is vulnerable to decay, to sickness, to death, to sin, we will no longer be liable to those things once we receive our spiritual, glorified body. One thing I always joke around with my wife is when I start feeling some pain in my knees or my back, I always tell her, I can't wait to receive my glorified body. And she, uh, of course I'm joking, but she doesn't really find it all that funny. And she tells me that ain't happening for a very long time. So, so what, would this, what would this change look like? You see, the Bible doesn't say much what our glorified bodies will be like, but the Bible does say we'll be changed to be like Christ. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now, we, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Or Philippians 3.21, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. When we're raised will be raised up in His character, in His happiness, in His glory. This should be enough to satisfy the Christian. For isn't that our goal while we're here on earth? To let Jesus shine through our lives, to be less like us every day and more like Him. 
As I mentioned, the Bible doesn't go into detail what our resurrected bodies will be like, but to find out we'll be changed to be like Christ. That's enough for me. Since we talked about being changed to be like Christ, and since Christ died and rose again to never die again, we too shall rise to never die again. Romans 6, 9, the Bible says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Married couples no longer having to watch your partner get sick and die. Children no longer have to watch your parents get old and die. It's heartbreaking to see our loved ones go through what they have to go through. I mean, growing up, I saw my mother get sick and pass away. I remember a time when she was able to run around with, our, with us kids. But by the time she passed away, she had lost several limbs. She lost an eye. She was on dialysis near death a couple of times and literally in a clinic at least two or three times a week. And I know I'm not the only one. In this congregation, many of you have experienced the same thing, and it's heartbreaking. I hate it. I hated hearing about it. But one day, we'll no longer have to shed a tear or mourn over our loved ones. A song in our book goes like this. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way, where the soul never dies. No sad farewells, no tear dimmed eyes, where all is love, and the soul never dies. Tis the land where we never grow old. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection will be joyous because we're finally going home. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. You see, we are but strangers and aliens in this world. 1 Peter 2.11, Dear beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So why are we strangers in this world? You see, for the manners of the believer are strange to the world. You see, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we communicate, everything about the Christian lifestyle is opposite from the world. Plus, we aren't to be so entangled in finding happiness in this world, as many are. A great way of thinking of this is traveling to a faraway country. My wife, Hattie, had the privilege of traveling to Italy, uh, Italy for school. She tells me about how beautiful that country is, about how great the food is, how great the countryside, the beaches, the history that place has. See, but, it, but for her, it wasn't home. Her family wasn't there. Her friends weren't there. She was a foreigner <clears throat> in a foreign country. As beautiful as that foreign country was, it wasn't her home. The same goes for us. As beautiful as this world is, and it really is beautiful, it's not our home. See, Jesus has gone and prepared a place for us, our eternal home. In John 14, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. <clears throat> Jesus has gone and prepared a place for us. We'll be finally free, we'll be, where we'll be finally free from sin the world's sin, and our very own sin. You see, we hear about the world's sin every day. It's on the news, on social media. We are bombarded by the world's sin, but no longer will we have to hear about it or be in this old sinful world. We'll finally be home and ultimately free from sin. The resurrection will be a great reunion of all our faithful loved ones. Second Samuel 2, uh, 
chapter 12, verse 23, the Bible says, Now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Shall I, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Whenever David's son died, he understood that he couldn't do anything about it to bring him back, but that he would one day at some point be able to be with him again. The same is for those of our loved ones who have been faithful to the Lord. A verse in the song, An Empty Mansion, goes, Many friends and dear loved ones will welcome me there, near the door of that mansion someday. I also want you to notice how I said our faithful loved ones, those who have been faithful and true to Jesus and have obeyed the gospel of Jesus. This is a hard saying, but it's true. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You see, many of my relatives and even my own mother went to church. My mother, she was a good woman. She put, definitely put herself in front of, put, herse- put others before herself, even while she wasn't at her worst physical health. But while she was alive, we didn't belong to the church, to God's kingdom. We went to some man's idea of what the church should be. So will I see my mother on Resurrection Day? I cannot say, but I know what the Bible tells me. Not only shall we, shall we be reunited with our loved ones, we shall be united with God once and forever. Job said in, 19, in Job 19.26, Yet in my flesh shall I see God. We too shall behold God before our eyes. Paul also comforts us with some words in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 16 and 17. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be Shall we ever be with the Lord? To the married couples here, think back to your engagement days of how all you could think about was your significant other, of how one day you'll be with them forever, and how you just couldn't wait to be with them. Then came the day, the day of your wedding. Men, think back to that moment, your wife taking those first steps down the aisle. Do you remember how you felt? Maybe you felt happy, overcome with joy, Maybe even a little bit of fear. I can think back to my wedding as it wasn't too long ago. But even before, even before my wife came through those doors, just knowing that at any second she would be mine and we could finally be together forever just made me so emotional. The same is for Christ and his bride, the church. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven two, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see, right now we are in the engagement process. We're getting to know Jesus. And like an engagement, it's usually a relatively short time compared to marriage. Also, consider the time we have here on earth to get to know Jesus and how we obviously won't get to know everything about him. But once we're married together with him, we'll have eternity to get to know him. You see, we'll know Jesus like we've never known him before. We'll see him like we've never seen him before. Sorry. For we shall see him for who he is. 
When you were dating, you knew your spouse well enough to think, I, I can see myself marrying this person. But it wasn't until you lived together, that's when you truly knew that person. I'm not sure, but maybe the feeling we felt on our wedding day is a small glimpse of what it will feel like on that day. Christ, the husband, finally receiving his bride, the church. But unfortunately, not everyone will experience this same feeling. For some, it will be grievous. Let's look back at our opening text of John 5, 20, uh, 18, 28, 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We shall rise, all that have done good and all that have done bad, unto the resurrection of damnation. You see, this damnation will be an everlasting punishment. Matthew 25, 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8 through 9, the Bible says, And the inflaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction with the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So what will that day look like for those people? One thing they will say to themselves is that they'd wish they'd never been born. Matthew 26, 24, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. This is Jesus talking about Judas. said that it would have been better if he had not even been born. Jesus said this because Judas would have to endure the wrath of God. So will it be for those people who have done evil and have to face the judgment of God. They will also cry out to the mountains and rocks. You see, whenever the Bible speaks of the coming judgment of God, it speaks about how sinners call out to the rocks and mountains, pleading them, cover me. For example, in Revelation 6, 16 or 17, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Or even Jesus himself speaking of his coming, then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. On that resurrection day, sinners will call out to the mountains and cry, Hide us from the wrath of God, but they will not be able to hide. The resurrection will be grievous because it'll be a, they'll be in a great state of mental torment. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, we get this. Luke 16, 25, the Bible says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Everything about hell is a, is a punishment. You see, when the rich man was in hell, Abraham told him, Remember, while you were alive, you received all the good things in life, and Lazarus received the evil things. You know, poverty, contempt, disease. And we know this from earlier in the parable. Jesus said that Lazarus was a beggar. He was riddled with sores. He ate the crumbs that fell off the rich man's table. Think of the torment the rich man will be in, thinking of how he could have done things differently, of how he should have done things differently, of how everything he didn't do. 
The same will be for those who have to face the wrath of God. They will have all of eternity to think about what they could have done, what they should have done, and what they didn't do. For example, they will think of all the people they could have helped but didn't. Verse 28, 28, uh, 27 to 28, the Bible says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And when the rich man died, he went to a place of torment, and all he could think about was his family and how he didn't want them to end up there. The rich man pleaded that Lazarus would go and testify to his brothers, but Abraham told them that they have Moses and the prophets. You see, the lost will not only weep of their own destruction, but they will also lament over the destruction of those they could have helped. <clears throat> in the end, they will plead, but it will all be in vain. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. <clears throat> this is a very sobering message. And one of the most frightening messages to read, that some people who call themselves Christians, those who have done many good works, will plead, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And all Jesus will say is, I never knew you. Depart from me. Brothers and sisters, don't let this be you. Don't let <clears throat> that resurrection morning be a day of mourning. Let it be joyous. And it all starts by being risen with Christ. C.S. Lewis once said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, fine. Those who knock, it is open. On that resurrection morning, it could either be a day of great joy or a grievous day. The choice is yours. And it, honestly, it all begins with believing the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory that, that what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Not only do we need to believe the good, this good news, but we must also obey it. And how do we do this? Through baptism, that's how. Romans 6, 3-4, the Bible says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by, bapti by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day, all according to the Scriptures. And when we're baptized, we do the same. When we're baptized, we partake in Jesus' death, His burial, and resurrection. We kill off that old sinful man and we bury him, destroying that body of sin 
and we rise in the newness of life. But you see, it doesn't just end with baptism. We must consecrate our lives to the Lord. Colossians 3, 1 through 2, the Bible says, if ye, then, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Once you have been risen with Christ in baptism, you need to seek those spiritual things, the things that please God. This means dedicating your life to Christ until the end. You see, God gave us a gift, and we have received this gift of salvation. So why not go out and share this gift with the world? Jesus has commanded us to do just that, to share this good news of his death, his burial, and resurrection in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19-20, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let this be you. <clears throat> we recently just celebrated Thanksgiving, a day where we're Thankful, as the name implies. On that resurrection morning, let your brother or sister be thankful for you for sharing the gospel with them, for walking beside them, bearing each other's burdens, helping them with their daily walk with the Lord, studying with them, and vice versa. Brothers and sisters, we can't do this alone. We need each other. So I offer the invitation this morning to anyone who needs the prayers from the church. To anyone who needs to obey the gospel through baptism, will you please come forward and sit in the front row as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.